0: Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all good? I'm going to go ahead and get that over with right now. I might ask you again if you start looking ugly at me. So, I'm going to read this scripture to you. um, And then I'm going to tell you a story behind the scripture. Uh, It's Isaiah 64, verse 1. And I just really think this is one of the most beautiful scriptures ever. Uh, It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. Well, here's my story. Actually, that word rend, I want to just tell you that means tear open. Oh, that you would tear heaven open. Well, several years ago, uh, back in the late 90s, we uh, found ourselves as a church. We found ourselves in a, a, we were going to be homeless as a church. We were getting thrown out of our building. Um... And so we were desperately looking for buildings and at the time nobody wanted to rent to a church. Even though there was lots of buildings around, uh, when they found out you were a church, they were like go they would go cold on you. So you could go in there and say you wanted to rent and you had the money and how much you needed and everything was good until they found out who you were, and then it was like, Oh, we can't do that. <laughs> they claimed there was some kind of law against it, but it was their law. So we were kind of getting desperate for this building. Uh, because we had to be out. Uh, we had a, The guy told. He gave us one month notice to get out of the building, which is not a lot of time, you know, to get out of a building. And so we're trying to talk to the guy and talk him out of it, but that was very futile. Uh, so we looked and looked and looked, and finally, I'm not exactly sure how we found it, but uh, we found out about this church building that was available, and... Got Becky. To, she was out and about, and I got her to go by and look at the building. and And she called me. I said, "Well, what was the building like?" And she said, uh, "Remember that television show, Sanford and Sons?" <laughs> I mean, I kid you not. There were weeds in the parking lot this high. It was, it was a, a, an old building and that had tr- many churches in it over, over decades, really. And the last church in it, I'm not sure what happened, but it come get. Kind of didn't work out, or something, and a guy was buying the church building, and he was going to turn it into apartments. That's what his plan was, and but he uh, found out we talked to him, and he was willing to rent the building to us. and I sort of felt like the building uh, was either going to be a womb or a tomb. That's, you get what I'm saying. It was either we're going to go over there, that's going to be our tomb to die in as a church. Or we're going to go over there, and it's going to be a wound for God to do something with us as a church. Uh, so we went over and cleaned the parking lot up, and you know the inside of the building was was kind of rough. It had another building there, and it was fell in, it had fallen in. So you, you got this building, you got another building. The other building was had fallen in. It was just kind of kind of a difficult situation. You know, it's in one of those neighborhoods that you probably don't want to move into. You, you know, people have washer and dryer sitting in their yard and. <laughs> Weed, weeds everywhere. It was just, that's just the way it was. I wasn't really in favor of this place. I'll be honest with you. I was totally in disfavor. I was convinced it was a tomb. Okay? You know, God has a way of fooling you. He really has a way of fooling you. But there was one thing in that church that I did like is right over the, the doorway into the sanctuary was that verse. And I somehow or another, that another, that gave me hope. That one little verse like there was I just knew there had to be some hope here if somebody would, you know, write that scripture uh over the doorway. And amazingly enough, that building really turned out to be amazing for us as a church. It it really was uh the first Sunday we met in there, it was like a holiday weekend, you know, and we were scrambling around and getting in there. But you know, it was like God was waiting on us there. It really was amazing. The presence of the Lord was just, once we came in and started worshiping, you know, as we were singing, you come down as we praise Well, he came down big time. And there was a move of the Lord that was there with young people that was just just awesome. It was the dream move that every, every parent uh, would want, you know, for their child to be involved where God was moving so powerfully and with youth and saving young people and it was awesome and and uh, there was a young couple there they became a young couple they were already sneaking around I think at the time being a young couple but uh, named Matthew and Sarah Bollinger but they were not that and but that he became that's where he Matthew became the youth pastor and during that time and really led that move of the youth. And, of course, y'all know Matthew now, him and Sarah, over in Chapel Hill, River Life Chapel Hill. So lots of great things. There was a lady there that was healed of terminal cancer, just supernaturally. God just did it. And there was just all kinds of awesome stuff that happened there. It was really a, a, a time of birthing of, of vision and dreams. And I was convinced that we tapped into a well there because the the building was uh, had been the site of a, a Pentecostal revival back in the early 1900. Uh, the part that had fallen in, and all kinds of old stories on that building. Uh, yeah, you've probably heard stories of buildings, uh, people, churches, and and fire coming out of the church, and the fire department coming. You've heard those stories, and those stories probably not all of them are true, but I, there's a lot of them that have been true. And this was a place where I've talked to people who literally said it was the truth. That God moved in that building in incredible ways. Back after it was out of the Azusa Street Revival, people who were affected by there started churches all over this. A guy named Alfred Gar, A.G. Gar, who was very famous in Charlotte, was a very famous man, had a, a church building on uh, I 77. And at one time, there was a room in the church building full of crutches and canes and wheelchairs of just miracle after miracle after miracle that God did to heal people. And um, in fact, I have know people who I have a black friend who's does ministry over there in that place now. Um, But he started a lot of churches and uh, actually helped. You know, that was one of the churches that came out of this guy's ministry. This guy was, from what I understand, Gar was the first white person to ever speak in tongues at Azusa Street. And that's something he was the first white man. Because, you know, Azusa Street was a lot of black people. They were really the ones carrying the mantle of revival for America. I think they still are. I I think black people and um, uh, Native Americans are really key for the United States, for healing in our nation, uh, because they're the two... You know races in our country that have been so you know wounded uh, more than the white people of course everybody's wounded and now we're wounding each other pretty dramatically but um the, so I just thought well the Lord has really answered that prayer um he he really did rend heaven and come down and and I think that prayer is just one of the most amazing prayers but after a while over there, I begin to get some suspicion about that prayer. I begin to suspect my understanding of the prayer. I begin to wonder uh, about my understanding of it because my understanding of the prayer was it was it was like a prayer of revival, right? I mean, that's that's what it sounded like. God come in. when God shows up, that's revival, right? I mean, to me, it's like if God's here, we're. Re- Something's going to happen. And, but the further I went, I began to, like I say, suspect my understanding of the prayer. And, and I had a feeling that I didn't really understand what God was saying. And I was, and I was bothered by, and I began to get bothered by some of the praying that I was involved in. And, and a lot of my praying, I, was, I started being bothered about how I prayed My attitude when I prayed And my feelings when I prayed And so over, you know This is years of God working in my heart I had a complete shift on the understanding of that prayer A complete shift Um, That it's, it's way more than just a prayer for revival It's beyond a prayer for revival It would include revival because it's such a great prayer Uh, and you know we were taught as young people this principle by Arthur Burrett that the greater includes the lesser but the lesser does not necessarily include the greater in other words because this prayer is so great many things are included in it including revival many things and so when you reach for the greater you're going to get these all these lesser things and so I began to reach for the greater and this this is what I found out this is what I found out That no amount of praying, and no amount of worship, and no amount of fasting, no amount of prostrating, no amount of serving, no amount of giving will open heaven. None of it will open heaven. None of that will open heaven for us. And I want to show you this this morning. I want to show you and prove to you that heaven is already opened. Heaven's already opened. Heaven's already open. And I think what I've, what I've come to learn is in those prayers, like praying for God to move, praying for the presence of the Lord to be manifest, it's more about me. It's more about my heart. It's about more about me getting in tune and in rhythm with God and, and being able to see what God's doing and understand what God's doing so I can flow with what God's doing versus trying to get God to do something. And that's really the thing that I began to learn. And it, was a, it took me a long, long, it took years for me to really come up and, and really understand what I'm sharing with you today. But I do love the prayer. I do think it's a beautiful prayer in amazing ways. But here's what, if you look at the prayer, this was Isaiah uh, praying the prayer. And the first thing that he, he prayed for was a person. That's what he said, oh, that you would come down. He wasn't praying for a, you get what I'm saying, he wasn't praying for a revival. He wasn't praying for a move of God. He wasn't praying for any supernatural acts. He wasn't praying God to deliver anything or do anything. He was praying for a person. Lord, that you would come down. That heaven would be tore open. And that you, God himself. And like I said, the greater includes the lesser. When God comes down, he brings stuff down. He brings things down. He brings actions down. He brings all these things with himself and, and sometimes we get so caught up on those things that we begin to miss that what we're really wanting is this person to show up. And not trying to just have a, a gift or a supernatural encounter, you know, with a spiritual gift or some, some anointing like that. Which all of those are awesome. We want all of those. I would never say we don't want them. So, really the, the prayer's been answered. You know, in the Old Testament, this is the way it worked. Lord, move. God would come on a prophet or some king or something, and God would really move and do stuff, and then God would lift on that, off that person after it was finished, or if the person passed on, moved on to heaven. And see I think this is why this is so important. I think that we apply, and, and a lot of our way we approach God and we approach our Christianity it has, it has a lot of Old Testament mindset on it. Old Testament is shadow. It's not the substance. And so we have a lot of shadow in our Christianity. We have a lot of things we're trying to do in the New Testament world that's based on the shadow versus based on the substance. And see, what God has to do, he has to transform our minds and change the way we think and begin to teach us what the Bible really teaches so that we can begin to cooperate with the New Testament mindset of God, the new covenant of God. It's not... That this was a bad thing. It's not this was a wrong thing. Okay? It was just, it's not the full thing. The full thing is this person of Christ coming and him bringing what he wants to bring when he comes. And so God wants to teach us how to really believe something and adjust our thinking to what his thinking, the way his thinking currently is. And even though the Lord doesn't change... Right? He never changes, but he changes the way he operates. He changes the way he does things. Y'all, y'all know that, right? Let me read this scripture to you. This is, this is powerful. This is a basis for life. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We, everybody knows that, Right? You know, this big old, like, four-inch-thick curtain that was nine feet high or something like that just ripped open spontaneously as Christ breathed his last breath. Spontaneously ripped apart. That's pretty... And ain't nobody going to be tearing no four-inch-thick curtain. And the earthquake and the rocks were split. That's really what happened right when Jesus Jesus died. So, so when he died, this is, uh, this is the way I like to look at it. When Jesus died... Up until that time, God had lived in the temple, okay? He, he lived in the tabernacle in the, in, uh, in the wilderness. And then when they built Solomon's temple, he lived in this place called the holiest place. That's where they went in to meet God once a year. You know, then they tore that temple down. They built another one. God was in there, and God, and, and it's like when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped open, and it's like God got out. And left. He left the temple. Okay, he, he moved out. And, and it says in Matthew that God narr- does not live in things made by hand, his dwelling place is in people. And so God moved away from there. He moved away from the temple, he, re- he moved away from the religious system of that time. Up until then, it was really what he had ordained, but from that point on, God was out. He was done, he was finished. Y'all, everybody knows this, but this is, this is primary importance for us. If we're going to really connect with God and connect with the presence of God and who God is and how God works today. And so God moved out and opened up heavens. He opened up the heavens because that's what that, temp, that, that uh, curtain was. It, was it, it separated man from being able to access God. No one but the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. And they tied a rope to him, just because if he got in there and had a heart attack and died when he saw God, they could drag his carcass out. And he was only, and he could only go in once a year. And he had to go in doing all the ceremonial stuff. And God did away with all of that. He, he completely, he ripped it open. He ripped and, and he gave mankind access to himself, total access. Listen to what this Hebrew, uh, this is real important scripture here. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the holy of holies, how? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now did you get that? Through the veil. The veil was the flesh of Christ. See, when that temple was torn, it was really, that was just symbolic. What was really being torn was Jesus' flesh. Jesus' flesh was literally ripped open, okay? And when his flesh was ripped open, heaven was ripped open. And mankind had access. See, this, everything rests on this. Everything rests on this. That's why I'm saying we had to shift away from an Old Testament mindset, which says we've got to pray enough, fast enough, do enough to be in God's company. That's not the gospel. That is not what Christ did. Christ made himself the veil. He allowed himself to be ripped open so through his shed blood, through his suffering, we could have total access to God. Always. Forever, because it was ripped open, and his flesh is not going to be sewn back together. It's open forever. Heaven's open now. It was open at the cross. It was open at the cross. See now, see, see. Everything has to have. There has to be. If you if you believe in a, in you know experiencing God and open heaven, you have to have. A, you got to have a truth. You got to have something that establishes that. Otherwise, you're going to be praying for trying to get God to do something for you that God's already done. And that's why I begin to question my prayers back when we were praying back in the day for God to move. It's like, wait a minute. I got this feeling that God's already done this. I got this feeling that God's already made a provision for all of this. And we're trying to get God to do something he's already done. He's already given this. It's like a kid like going to mom. Mama, cook me supper. Feed, feed me. Well, there's your dinner sitting on the table. Just go sit down and eat it. Um, so there's a couple things. There's a lot of hindrances to believing in open heaven or to experiencing open heaven. Many, there's many hindrances. I'll tell you that now. Because once I began to believe this, I found a lot of hindrances. But the biggest hindrance is what you believe. That's your absolute biggest hindrance in this. If you don't believe it, Jesus said, you know, I think Matthew 13, Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because of unbelief, right? Because people didn't believe. And therefore, it hindered God from being there to work and do things. It was was not on God's part. It was on their part. Uh, Hebrews 3, they didn't enter God's rest because of what? Unbelief. And so to me, if we have to decide, do we believe heaven's open? Do we believe it's open right now? Do we believe it's open in the deadest moment that we're going to experience? Not just, oh, it's open because we had an awesome time in worship. And heaven was open. No, it was already open before you had an awesome time in worship. It was open when you had that worst day of your life. It was open when you hit rock bottom. It was open when God didn't seem to answer your prayers. Heaven was open. That's why I said that last week, that four one. there was a door standing open in heaven. And that door, and it literally means that door was propped open. It was bolted open, never to be closed again. And that door is Christ. That door was his flesh. And so when we begin to shift the thing like this, and I realize for some people in the room, this room, it's it might be a hard shift for you. It was a real hard shift for me because of the way I grew up and the spiritual climate I'm in and the revelation that we had in those times. It, it was difficult for me to make that transition. But God well, made sure I made it because he would not leave me alone about it. He made me uneasy. He made me. I, was just, I had this restlessness in me about what I believed. I felt challenged by things. I felt challenged when I would, uh, about my belief system. And I didn't like it at first. I get mad at somebody. But really, it was a gift from God. It was really a gift because they were trying to, it was like God was sending things to me to challenge what I believed. Y'all are an awful sad acting. And- you know, Isaiah also prayed that the mountains would shake at the presence of this person, and it said, "When Jesus died, the earthquake and the rocks were split." And the rocks are the hardest thing on the earth, the hardest thing on the earth. The hard, and you know, but really, rocks really not the hardest thing on the earth. You know what the hardest thing on the earth is? It's people's hearts. That's really the hardest thing it is. But I'll tell you something: God's going to going to cause people's hearts to open. He really is. He's going to come in such a way that people and reveal Himself that people really will open their hearts to him so let me read this beautiful scripture I'm not going to ask y'all if y'all are right because it's just obviously you're not and <laughs> so there's no use in asking but I just really um, these all these scriptures that I've read to you so far this, this, this has been like a lifeline to me these, these have changed my life These have this has been like everything to me and a lot of stuff, other stuff that I believe it has come out of really seeing this. And I really, you know, pray that God will speak to your heart this morning, and not just your head. And That you will see it with your heart, and you'll begin to believe that really heaven really is open. It's it's open because of the beautiful flesh of Christ being torn open. You yeah, know, that was one of the awesome things. I will share this. When the Lord began to move in our church uh, several years ago, the river of God, I saw that river before it ever came into this church. And you know how I saw it? I saw a vision of Jesus on the cross. And I saw a Roman soldier, John 19, I saw a Roman soldier go up to Jesus and stick a spear in his side. And I saw water pouring out of his side. And I heard these words, the headwaters of the river of life was released into the earth that day. And so when the Holy Spirit River came here, it was not an issue for me because I saw it in the cross. I saw it. I saw it. It's real. It's not just... That's, this stuff is real. And anything you can find in the cross, it's real. It's the most real thing there is. And you should embrace. You should embrace the river of God. God you should embrace the open heaven because we see it in, in the cross of Christ. And that's the thing that's going to make the biggest difference in your life. That's going to the thing that's going to make the greatest you know, change and in, in transformation and the greatest fruit in your life. That's the true gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. Y'all are just... Okay. Anyways... Have mercy, Lord, on me. One of the great things about this is Jesus demonstrated an open heaven, okay, when he was on the earth. Now, that's, that's his key. Jesus demonstrated an open heaven. Now, the way this thing works is, is God answered Ezekiel's prayer in Christ. When Christ came to the earth, and I'll read the scripture just in a moment, he answered the prayer. But, also, but it was only at the cross when that answer became available for everybody, And it was only at Pentecost when we saw the first signs of an open heaven on a big, you know, scale. You see what I'm saying? So it all just didn't happen at once. Ezekiel prayed the prayer hundreds of years. Christ came, lived on the earth, and and right here, listen to this, Mark 1, 9 through 11. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. This is before Jesus' ministry ever started. He was basically an unknown guy that showed up from, from Galilee or Nazareth. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Okay? And then it says, that Immediately coming up from the water, he, being Jesus, saw the heavens parting. That parting is a nice word. It literally means he saw heaven ripped open. Immediately. So at his bapti- baptism, Isaiah's prayer was fulfilled, it was answered in Christ. This person showed up, but it was only at the cross where we see it fully manifested for the rest of us. And then at Pentecost is when we begin to see it manifest, where people saw it, people heard it, people felt it. Up to then, people weren't seeing it, hearing it, or feeling it. But it was still true. So this is, this is amazing here. And and he saw the heavens parting or being ripped open, and the spirit descended upon him like a dove. Then then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. So here's one thing that I've sort of discovered about, about God is God is it's kind of this is the only way I know how to say it. God is 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 He always brings origins up. Okay, he's very big into the origin of a thing. That's why he calls himself, he didn't call himself the God of Abraham. I mean, he calls himself the God of Abraham, he didn't call himself the God of Moses. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were the patriots, those were the fathers. And that's why, it wasn't that he wasn't saying, no, I'm not the God of all these rest of these clowns that came along and it showed up. Of course he was, but he is reflecting himself back to the origin. It's like that, and I discovered this through studying Elijah and Elisha because it was perplexing to me that Elisha was double, had double anointing, double miracles. He was better than Elijah, he was greater than Elijah, but God reflects back to Elijah, not to Elisha. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? Because Elijah was the father, and out of him came. And so God's do y'all get that? Yeah. That's important. So when you're looking at the scripture, what you need to do, what I've discovered, what you need to do, what hopefully God will show you, have mercy on you like he has me, to really look for, for like the seed of something, the, the essence of something, and you can begin to understand how God works as that seed multiplies and perpetuates down the road. Does that make sense? It does to Larry. So this was like the seed, this was like the beginning, this was like the down payment with Jesus. So everything in Jesus' life, that's why the life of Jesus and how Jesus acted and what he did is important. That's like the origin of everything for the Christian life. And we go back to him and look at him and and what happened to him and what, what he exposed us to. So we can get some concepts from him and thoughts from him and the way... It's going to work for us. And so this right here, when Jesus was baptized, to me is like the essence, the very seed of what an open heaven really begins as. This is like the beginning, the essence of it. And there was, you know, like one, the revelation of the Father's voice, that God's voice spoke, and it was heard. And so here's how we can know that there's an open heaven, is you can begin to hear and listen, you have a right to hear God. You, it's a right given to you by God because He's opened heaven and He spoke. And He wants people to know. Now, there's a, there's a lot we can learn about hearing Him. I'm not... I, we, you know what I'm saying? And I believe God is speaking a lot more than we're hearing. And so the lot to learn is for us to learn how to cooperate and tune in to what He's saying. But we have a right. The Father spoke. And people heard it. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He, it wasn't like he was a bad guy and he needed his flesh done away with. He was doing it for us. He was showing us something. He was demonstrating something for us so that we could follow him. And part of that following him is hearing the Father speak. And it's significant what he spoke to him, right? You're my beloved son. He spoke identity to him. And so that's another thing we can tell when there's an open heaven is, is people are starting to get a glimmer of true identity as sons and daughters of God. That's just not some, you know, happy teaching. That's, a, that's something that's real from heaven, that God wants us to know who we are. And that's one of the things as you begin to, to experience this open heaven, you're going to experience a father. You're going to experience a father. He's going to reveal himself to you as a father. And he's going to do what a father does. He's going to speak to you. He's going to speak to your heart. He's going to speak speak to who you are. And when you're trying to be something else, he'll speak to that. Like, don't do that. You make a terrible marlin. You don't have no hair. You're not big. <laughs> you wouldn't be a good marlin. But you make, you're good you, though. You know, you're my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. Hey, you know, this is what I've discovered about people is pretty much all of us really is most people it's dignity. People don't have dignity. deep down in their heart they don't, have, they don't feel honored, they don't feel loved, they, they don't feel like they' measured up. I think everybody in this room we've all felt that at times. and see that's what God was doing there. He was trying to to say, and he's trying to tell us that. This is before Jesus did any stuff, so it was, not, it was outside of what he did. That God really wants people to have dignity. And I'm going to tell you something. These people who do these crazy things like kill, run cars into crowds, there's something, there's some, they got demons. I guarantee they got demons, okay, because that's being driven by a demon. But there's also behind the demon, there's somebody that's hurt, There's somebody that's wounded badly. There's somebody that's suffering. There really is. And that's why God wants to to show up in the world is is to address that. That's why he gave an open heaven. Because he wants people to have dignity. He wants people to feel esteemed and honored and loved. And people do not feel that in the world. They really don't. They feel like they don't measure up. I could say who don't feel like they're not measured up in the room and would be the better question. But I've spent most of my life not feeling like I was good enough. And it, drew, it, it was a thing that made, drove me, you know, to do things I shouldn't do or act in ways I shouldn't act. And when God began to reveal himself to me as a father, he really went after that thing in me. It's the like orphan spirit is what it was. And he really spoke to it and, and broke that thing off of me. And started teaching me how to live as a son. That's what happens under an open heaven. That's the basic things that need to happen. Is is this a baptism of identity. This baptism of of being accepted and loved. See when that's beginning to happen. You know that's a sign. There's an open heaven. When people begin to see God as a father. And begin to know him as a father. That's an open heaven. He's He's given us these indicators to know. Are y'all good? Yes. Lord help, right? Let me read this scripture, Acts 2.22, that I've, I love too. Uh, this is preaching uh, G, uh, at the after Pentecost, uh, you know, all that really hap- happy stuff. And there had to be some conversations around it. You know, The shortest message on pl- in the planet, though, for something that was so dynamic. But sometimes you can't really explain stuff, but you can say a few things. Uh, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody said Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say Jesus Christ. All that's meaningful for the audience he was speaking to that day. A man attested. You know what that word attested means? Approved. A man approved. A man approved by God. And see, that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have approval. That you're approved by God. And you are. That's the the crazy thing is you are approved. Now, that doesn't mean your actions are approved, you know. But you are. You're approved right now. You're approved. You don't have to try to get approval. You don't have to try to get people to like you. You don't have to try to get God to like you. You already have it. It's, it's the truth. It really, and when you start really believing that, I'm not talking about believing it in your mind, but when your heart starts grasping that and holding that, it changes you. Yeah. It transforms you. It makes you into a different person. Mm-hmm. It, it calls you to think different, and it really helps you with seeing it, like Dean was saying, anger at people who do bad things and wanting to go get them and pay them back. But realizing, mm-hmm. see, that's a, a, a change in the way you think. And it says, he was approved to you God, to, to, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourself also know. So I think being approved by God is a really key to having a miraculous lifestyle. It's, it, it's that we're confident, we're settled in something, and it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to really work through us in, in unusual ways. Because we're not trying to get Him to do something. We're not trying to do something to get Him to approve. We're just letting God do what He wants to through us. And through Jesus, He did all these miracles. And, and, and it says that God approved Him by showing you this, that this is God's sign that He was approved. But at the same time, God was doing it through Him. And I think God wants to do miracles through people myself. And I think that's part of what God wants to do, is get people to a state in their life where that they feel secure in God and feel accepted and feel loved. And God can use them in, in, in ways where it won't mess them up or mess up the people that they're trying to minister to. Is this making sense? Anyways, the other thing that happened to Jesus was, oh, I wanted to say this. Let me make sure you get this. When you're approved by God, it helps your confidence. Okay? And here's the truth. When you're being tried and you're going through bad things, I'm telling you the one thing the devil wants to get from you is your confidence. Because yeah. he will go, at, that's why it says don't throw your, because we have a tendency like, I give. I'm just, I'm dirt. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just dirt. Look what's happening to me. <laughs> And people are telling you, this wouldn't be happening if you didn't do something bad, (laughs) you know. It's an awful day when people start telling you that. (laughs) Byron, all this stuff, bad stuff happened because you're bad. There's something bad about you. So that'll, yeah, your confidence will get seriously challenged. And, you know, when Jesus faced the devil after he heard this from God, what was the thing the devil kept saying to Jesus? Jesus said, God the Father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. The devil is saying, oh, if you're the son of God, jump off this temple. If you're the son of God, do this, do that. You know what I'm saying? See, the devil is going to challenge that in you. He was And say he put this word in Jesus, if you're the son of God. Wait a minute. Am I the son of God? Did I not hear the father say that? He puts this doubt in us. That's how he gets us. He get, this doubt comes and we begin to question who we are. And when trouble comes in your life, you will begin to really question really who you really are. You'll question everything that God ever said to you. Everything. You'll think, was it a pipe dream? Was I just delusional? You'll come to point, well, maybe I am delusional, Lord. I just give up. I'm delusional. I'm messed up. You know, I've had those days. I'm done, you know. But that's what the enemy does. He tries to get us to doubt. And if he can get you to doubt, he can get you confidence if you, if you go down that road of doubt too far. Now, doubt, doubt's normal in our life. Everybody has doubt, but I'm just saying when the devil comes into your life and starts talking to you, you do not want to entertain that doubt. You do not want to mess with that doubt because if you do, it's going to really hurt you. The other thing, I'm, I'm getting close to the end just in case you were wondering, <laughs> uh, is this the Lord, the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus like a dove. You know, you wouldn't think that, right? You'd think he'd come like an eagle or come like a lion and just wrap himself around. I mean, he like a dove, seriously? You know, <laughs> that's what I think. Like, what a dove, Lord? Why couldn't it have been something more aggressive, more manly, not some little cooing dove, you know? Let's get with some manpower here, Lord. You know? But it says the Holy Spirit came like a dove and rested on Jesus' shoulder. You know, clothed him. Is what it did. Clothed him with the with the presence of God, and you know the Bible speaks of the shoulder being government. It was authority that was coming on Jesus. It was the government of God resting on Jesus. It was it was a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about it wasn't about doing the stuff. It was about a relationship, about learning how to walk with the Holy Spirit. It's what it was about. And if we're going to have the 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 works of Jesus, we need the relationship with. We need, if we want the works that Jesus did, we need the relationship with the Holy Spirit that he had. That's really it. The Holy Spirit resting on us. And then later it says Jesus went into the desert full of the Spirit. The Spirit was resting on him. He came out in the power of the Spirit to begin to do the mighty works of God. And that's what God has for all of us. So it really is a clothing with power, but there has to be the release of that power. Just because you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there needs to be a release of the power of God that He's put in you. And that's really what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really for, is the release of the power of the Holy Spirit that God breathed into you when you got saved. Because the disciples, Jesus breathed into them, said receive the Holy Spirit. Then He said wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, and then you'll have this power that will come on you. Somehow or another, we're lacking that power. And I think some of that has to do with our insecurities, you know, and our unbelief. And all those things mixed together hinder us from really moving in what God has for us. So, you know, the Holy Spirit's a person. He has a voice. He wants to be treated that way. So the last thing I wanted to say is, if it's not already obvious, is we we already we have an open heaven. Instead of praying that God would open heaven, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see what God's already done so we can tap into what He's done. We need to see this open heaven so we can begin to experience this open heaven and not live our life by by formula, by rote, by this, by that, by be, but be led by the Spirit. That's really what this open heaven thing is about. And let me just say something. When a per And, and there's been a lot of talk in the Christian world out there about revival and stuff. To me, when a person is saying, Lord, bring revival, this is what they're saying. They're saying, I got this hope in me that God is going to do something. God's going to do something. And life will be better than it is right now. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. There's really nothing wrong with it. Lord, I got this hope in me that you're going to move in my life. You're going to revive me. You're going to revive the passion in my heart that's not so passionate right now. That my life can be different. My life can be better than it is. It's really true uh, what one person said. is revival is not God's highest. It's really not God's highest. God wants us to live always full of passion, burning. But let's face it. Life takes its toll on all of us. Everybody in this room, life will take its toll on you. So, revival may not be God's highest, but when we need revival, we want it, okay? And so, we've never come to a place in history where men did not need revival. We've never come to that place. We need revival. The church needs revival. The world needs Jesus really bad. So, amen for that, right? I hope y'all are getting that. So, okay, Lord, help us to get the heavens already open. Help us to start living like that. Begin to show us the hindrances in our life, the unbelief. And there's a lot of other hindrances that we have. So, mm, thank you, Lord. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to come on you right now and rest on you a second. Now, I know some of you, this is going to mess with your theology a little bit, but I don't really care. I really don't care. Because you know what? Everybody in this room, we need to change some of our theology. We need to change some of our thinking. We need to change some of our belief. And and we need to thank God that when our stuff starts getting messed with, that God is messing with us. God's trying to talk to us, trying to reveal some things to us. I pray that God reveal to you how precious the opening of the heaven is in his sight. That it's so precious that it was his son ripped open. Ripped open. I pray that we could all see that and know that. And begin to live that way. Lord, we thank you today for an open heaven. Lord, instead of asking you uh, to rend the heavens and come down, Lord, we're saying, Lord, you've already rend the heavens. You've already come down, Lord. You've already shook the the earth. You've already shook it. And, Lord, we're just saying once again, like in the Hebrews it says, once more heaven and earth will be shook. And I pray for a, a freshness of what you've already done, that you'd reveal to us afresh, a fresh revelation of an open heaven, a fresh revelation of what Christ did at the cross, the power of the cross, the glory of the cross, Lord, would be made real in our life, Lord, that you were torn open, Lord. You were torn open. You were the veil, Jesus. And you allowed yourself to be ripped wide open so that we could walk right into heaven and we could have total access to the Father. I just thank you for that today. I bless you for that, Lord. I pray you'd release the reality of that in our hearts. It wouldn't just be an understanding in our minds, Lord, but it'd come deep in our hearts. It would come deep in our hearts, Lord. Teach us how to walk in your ways. Teach us how to know these things by the Spirit, Lord. Lord, I just ask you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.